man, it's good for me to be in church today. Last night was rough for me. Evander Holyfield had a boxing match. He is one of my favorite athletes of all time. He's 58 years old. (laughs) um, I follow two Instagram accounts that Jessica does not love. Um, One is called Bald Men's Fashion Code. And the other is Old Man's Strength. And she especially doesn't like the old man's strength one. But, but Evander is the epitome of old man's strength. And, and yet at 58 years old, it, it, was, it was tragic. And um, so this is a hard, hard day for me. So it's good to be back in church. Nobody likes to see their sports icon, you know, take it too far. That's just, but they all do. Nobody learns. And I guess, I guess millions of dollars will do that to you. I've got one more in me, but... Um, Anyway, I'm recovering today, so let's, we'll recover together. Let me have you grab your Bibles or your phones or your memory banks, maybe, because I think some of you may have memorized the passage that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It'll be a passage that's familiar to a lot of you, and I'm sure some of you have even intentionally or just by repetition have memorized this verse before. In fact, When Jessica and I were in Colorado Springs, we knew someone who had memorized the entire gospel of Luke. Every verse, all 24 chapters. It was crazy. But but some of you will remember these words from Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus is teaching, and he said this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it, Again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And and let me just read this one more time. Um, I've been listening to my podcast at one and a half speed, which Jessica doesn't love that either because she's thinking it's shortening my attention span. Um, But um, let me read this one more time, one and a half speed here. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had to buy that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Today we're beginning a new study that will carry us through the next few months on the subject, the kingdom is like blank. Because did you notice that Jesus started both of these parables that way? In the first one, he said, the kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field. And then in the next one, he says that the kingdom is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And Jesus started every single one of his teachings about the kingdom that way. The kingdom was the most important message that Jesus Christ ever spoke. But every time he spoke it, he he described it by comparing it to something other than what it actually was. He, He would say things like, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like leaven. 
Or the kingdom is like a net that gets thrown into the lake and it pulls up all different kinds of fish. He, he took this most important message, but he never introduced it with its actual technical definition. And the reason he didn't do that is because sometimes technical definitions don't do justice to the thing being discussed. Sometimes a technical definition doesn't get the job done. In fact, a lot of times in classes that I'm in, I'll ask the people, what is the kingdom of God? Because it was Jesus' most important message. And so what, what is the kingdom? And inevitably, somebody gives me... Um, an answer that is absolutely correct and absolutely boring. Without fail, somebody says, well, the kingdom is the rule and reign of God in the earth. Or they say something like, the kingdom is the domain of King Jesus as it spreads throughout creation. And that is so accurate that it could be a technical theological entry in a dictionary in seminary. And yet it is so boring that it leaves the human heart untouched and cold. When Jesus was teaching about the kingdom, he was presenting ultimate reality for humanity. It was the most important thing he could ever teach. And so he had to give it more than its technical definition. A technical definition never touches the human heart. And since Jesus came to awaken and inflame and rescue and heal the human heart, he used metaphors and examples and illustrations that would speak more directly to the human heart. To say that the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in the universe is kind of like comparing a kiss to its technical definition. I love this. I've told you this before. If, if you look up the dictionary definition of a kiss, a kiss is a greeting with the lips that expresses warmth, kindness, or love. And that's true. I like another definition. There's another dictionary that says, a kiss is the pressing of one's lips up against another object or person, often ending in a smacking sound. <laughs> and again, yes, I guess that's true. A kiss is the pressing of lips that sometimes ends with a big old smack. But, but hey, did you ever hear the 1963 song by the Crystals? And then he kissed me. You guys remember that song? And then he kissed me. Wow, if you've heard that song, it's romantic and it's passionate and it's fairy tale. She is not singing about a greeting with the lips that ends in a little smack. In fact, when she said, I felt so happy I almost died, and then he kissed me, she's not talking about the pressing of the lips in a kind act. No, anybody who's ever been kissed knows that a kiss is like magic. A kiss is like a symphony wrapped up inside a smooch. A kiss is like a... Now you know what I think about, Jesse. 
You should try it. <laughs> a, a kiss is like an entire conversation without any words. So, so, so do you see how Jesus would have to say, listen, the, the kingdom is like something that's beyond its technical definition. It is its technical definition. A kiss is the pressing of the lips together as a sign of affection, but it's so much more than that. The kingdom is like treasure. And wow, what does that word do to you? Treasure is a good word, isn't it? You know, any word can be corrupted and filled with baggage, but treasure is just pretty much a pretty good word. It evokes something. Treasure's good. Treasure's exciting. It's adventurous. It awakens something in you. Um, well, what is the treasure of the kingdom? How is the kingdom our treasure? But let me ask you a question. Let's just float this question in the air. What is, what is the purpose of Christianity? And let me, let me restate it. What is Christianity supposed to do in a person's life? If you commit your life to this Christian faith, what is the outcome of that faith in your life? See, we live in a society of, of cause and effect, where we engage with things because we want particular outcomes. We go to the gym because of what a gym lifestyle can produce. We go to the doctor or we see a therapist or we attend motivational seminars because why? We expect some kind of an outcome. Well, what is the outcome supposed to be in this life of following Jesus? What is Christianity supposed to do in a person? I'll give you the answer, and then I'll show you the scripture that, that clearly states this. The purpose of Christianity is to restore your humanity. The longer we actually live this life of faith, not, not the longer we sit in church necessarily, the longer we actively engage in this life of faith, the more truly and fully human we become. If a chiropractor fixes your back, if a psychiatrist can adjust your serotonin level, Christianity fixes your humanity. Here's the verse. You can go with me to Romans 8, verse 29. Um, Romans 8, 29, uh, the apostle Paul is teaching, and he says, those that God foreknew, and he's talking about you, He's talking about God's followers in every generation throughout the history of the world. Those that God foreknew, he also predestined. And I love that word predestined, the idea of destiny. The idea that there's a purpose that you were created for is massive. In fact, this word predestined, it's the Greek word pro-orizo. And orizo is the word where our English word horizon comes from. So inside this idea of being predestined, it means that God looked down through the ages and he set the horizons of your purpose and your destiny in advance. He pre-horizoned you for something. Those that he foreknew, he also predestined, and here's what it's for. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. So that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters who look just like him. 
And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is the NIV translation. I want to read this to you again out of the message paraphrase. So this is how Eugene Peterson framed up this whole concept um, from Paul. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him, in Jesus. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Um, The Bible tells us that we were created one way. We were made to function and operate one way. There was a bent to the universe that was one way, but, but sin and trauma and brokenness messed all of that up. And so Jesus, the, the gospel, Christianity, the kingdom came along to restore those things. So the, the message of the gospel, the mission of the kingdom is to restore what has been lost. If you ever had to describe the Bible in one word, I was in a meeting, I don't know, about a month ago. I was with a professor out at APU, and when I walked in, he had just finished class, and he goes, hey, i got a question for you. He goes, I just asked the class to describe the entire Bible in one word. What would you say, Chris? Go. And don't you hate those moments? I like doing that to people, but I felt so put on the spot, and I felt so dumb, and I just said Jesus, because that's always the right answer. But, um, but listen... If you landed on the word restoration, if there was one word to summarize the Bible from beginning to end, it would be the word restoration. Um, Hold that thought. Let me give you a terrible technical word to to put in our thoughts for just a second that helps unpack this treasure of the kingdom. The, The phrase is this, or the term is this, hypostatic union. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Um, Those of you that have taken Bible college classes, you may have heard the term hypostatic union before. This is a, a terribly technical theological term that describes the essence or the nature of Jesus. And hypostatic union is the teaching that Jesus, in his essence, is fully God and fully human. So he's fully divine and he's fully man. And the fact that Jesus was able in his essence through the incarnation, him coming to earth, he carried both of those into his essence in such a way that that he showed the world what God was like. He was God, but not this distant, aloof God. He was God stepped into human history. But not only was he God, but the brilliance and the genius of Jesus is that even while showing us God, he showed us humanity. And I think we often emphasize the Godness of Jesus. We focus on the fact that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. He's also the firstborn. He's also the older brother. And so, so he's, he's both. So who are you praying to? 
when your children are struggling and you're praying your heart out for them. You're praying to a God who looks like Jesus, who leaves heaven to enter the human story and chase after broken humanity. Who are you entrusting your life to when you entrust it to God? Well, you're entrusting it to a God who looks like Jesus giving his life away for you. The fact that Jesus put a face on God makes God approachable in everything we've ever ached for. But the genius of Jesus and the brilliance of Jesus is that while showing us God, he also shows us humanity. Um, so we, we, can, we could state the question of what's the purpose of Christianity this way. Christianity is to make us increasingly like Jesus. And that right there, whether that warms your heart and melts your soul like the song, and then he kissed me, or whether that sounds terribly technical and dull, I don't know. But that right there is the treasure of the kingdom. That right there is the answer that your life is aching for. Listen, the, the problems in your family, every one of them, could be cured by more Christ-likeness. The traumas and the issues and the crime in our world would be eradicated through more Christ-likeness. In fact, how about we do a little experiment this week? What if for the next seven days, in every situation you're in, with every person, you act in the most unchristian way possible? So starting tomorrow in your classroom, every interaction with every child... Every customer that walks into your business, every client you talk to on the phone, every family interaction, act in the most unchristian way possible for seven days. What will happen at the end of seven days? Will you, you'll be alone. You won't be promoted. You won't be teacher of the month. No, no, we were made for this. We were made for this this life and this existence. So if you tell me the kingdom is the rule and reign of God, part of me goes, meh. I know it's important. But, but if you tell me the kingdom is like Jesus, oh, then my heart melts and leaps at the same time because I see it now and I get it now. And I know what the answer for my life is. And I know what I'm supposed to become like, and I know what the starting point and the finish line and the pathway to the finish line is. It's Jesus. Jesus is the treasure of the kingdom. But, but, but um, did you notice with me in the text that like all legitimate treasure, this treasure of the kingdom starts out hidden, and then it has to be found. See, I've never tripped over a giant diamond in the street. Have you? I've never been swimming and thought, oh, look, an untapped gold mine. No, uh, diamonds have to be excavated. Gold has to be dug out of the earth. Um, pearls have to be cut out of the clenched grip of oysters. And why is that? Well, why would the treasure of the kingdom start out hidden? Well, because it's treasure. And treasure's valuable. Treasure's not common. Oh, my goodness, if there was one message we tried to put in our daughters, and you know how it is, you, never, you think you're doing so great, and you never really know. I mean, time will tell, I guess, but, but, but you're not common. 
You're not a, you're not a, a piece of gravel. You're a diamond. That there's a reason that, that, that things that are valuable have to be looked for because they're, they're not just everywhere. In fact, there was a really weird time. Um, it was a weird verse in 1 Kings chapter 10. King Solomon taxed Israel literally into a civil war. King Solomon brought incredible wealth into the kingdom, but he also crushed the people with horrible taxation. And there's a strange little verse in 1 Kings 10 that says, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. And that sounds like a great thing that we're so rich that you're just, you can just throw your silver away. Well, no, what that means is the silver had no value. He, he, there was this incredible taxation and a flooding of the market and things that were valuable weren't valuable again. Um, uh, real treasure has to be found. It has to be excavated. And, and then I, I, th- I find this curious in the text that sometimes it has to be found again. Did you notice that this man found the treasure, hid the treasure, but then he bought the treasure and he had to find the treasure again? That's why people make treasure maps with a little X marks the spot because, oh, I found it. And now I've got to go secure the means to getting it, but I've got to be able to find it again. Sometimes the treasure is not trying to play hide and seek with you, but sometimes it's found and then it needs to be found again. And you know, this is very common in relationships. You know, um, it's so easy to see the treasure at the beginning of a relationship. Um, At the beginning of a relationship, we're always optimists. We're going to be best friends forever. Oh, I never knew you could love a child this much. This is going to be amazing. I think she's going to be the best boss I ever had. We're always optimistic at the beginning. It's easy to see the treasure on the front end. We're going to be together forever. You know, the the only um, marriage ceremonies that I've refused to officiate, and there have only been a few out of the dozens I've officiated, it's when there was no treasure between them. Man, you're not even married yet, and you're already treating each other as common. That there's no hope for a relationship. If, I, if you're silver, but I see you as a stone. Um, in relationships, the, the, the treasure needs to be excavated, but sometimes it needs to be excavated again. See, we live in a culture where the trend is as soon as the magic fades, you go looking for something more magical. You know, as soon as the glitter fades, well, you go find something shinier. And if, if you have found the right source to begin with, if we're talking about relationships, if you're in the wrong relationship, that's a different story. But if you're in the right relationship, the, the magic can fade even in the right relationship, and it's got to be re-excavated. It's got to be re-dug. We, we need to be um, treasure hunters. Um, tre- treasure seekers always think it's worth it. I'm going to find the fountain of youth. I'm going to find the lost city of gold. They always think it's worth it. Even if it ruins me on the expedition, they always think it's worth it going after the treasure. Um, This man sold all that he had and bought that field. How much would a field like that be worth to you? How much would would it be worth to find and fulfill your purpose? You know, Jesus said two different things in these parables. I know these parables sound like the same thing. It sounds like he just repeats it to reiterate the same point, but he doesn't. Let's not miss this, okay? He actually says two very different things in these parables. 
And the first one, he says, the kingdom is like treasure in the dirt. But in the second one, he doesn't say the kingdom is like a fine pearl. He says the kingdom is like the merchant going in search of the fine pearls. So he says that the kingdom is both the treasure and the treasure hunt. There's something about seeking God that's a treasure. There's something about going after the treasure of Jesus, pursuing him, chasing him, experimenting, getting to know him that is in it of itself treasure, even while we're landing on the treasure. So listen, to experience everything that Jesus has for you, you have to buy it. We have to go all in. Um, he bought you with his life, and now you and I buy his treasure with our life and how we respond to it. You know, it was a very cruel science experiment when those scientists hooked a bunch of procession caterpillars up in a line. You know, procession caterpillars are the ones that follow each other in lines, and they put them in a circle. And these caterpillars started just walking in circles. And then they dropped a big old pile of food right in the middle and then stepped back and watched the caterpillars starve to death, even though the food was right within striking distance. And how many of you have ever seen someone do that with their life? Oh my gosh, the answer's right there. Please, do what I'm telling you to do. Have you ever watched someone just going in circles when you know that there's treasure waiting for them? Some people live their lives that way. They never actually pay the price to break out of the rut and pounce on the food. But other people do. There are other people who buy the field. There are other people who pay the price, do the heavy lifting, and excavate the treasure. And then when they do, they enter into joy. It says that this man left and in it's, it's the beginning of a life of excavation and exploration. Um, there are new wonders on the horizon for you. In fact, let, let me end in Jeremiah 33, verse 2. This is a, a word that God gave to the prophet Jeremiah. He was challenging him to dream bigger, challenging him to expect for more. Hey, son, there's more for you. We're not at the end of this race. There's more to be done, to be seen, to be known. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things, things you do not know. So let's go all in today. If, if we've been circling the treasure instead of going straight at it, let, let's change. I, I love to tell my family, I changed. They always have something that I need to change. And not Jess, but Maddie specifically. There's always something. Hey, Dad, you know, I've been noticing, and so I just change. And so sometimes I tell them, hey, I changed. I don't do that anymore. Let's change today. That's one of the glories of being human. We can change. We don't have to go in circles. We can dive on the treasure. So if, if we're here and, and we've kind of lost the glimpse of the treasure, maybe in our kids, maybe our loved one, maybe our career, maybe our faith, let's, let's go at it again. Let's pursue it again. And, and you know, whether you're um, brand new to faith or you've been in faith for a long time, the, the prayer is the same. The, the prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. That's the prayer for a first-time seeker to pray. 
And it's also the prayer of someone who's been walking with Jesus for decades to pray. So, so today we're going to recommit to the right treasure. We're going to get on the hunt. And our lives are going to change. And it's going to be good. Amen?